Yeah, fuck it. Let's get it going. Here we go. <laughs> Hello, people. <laughs> I know this one. I think everybody knows this one. Jared, how you doing today, bud? Excellent. How are you? Doing pretty good, actually. Zach, how you doing? I am uh, indifferent today. Oh wow, it's pretty. No, it's just it's, it's it, well, there's just a lot, a lot going on, and uh, I thought summer would slow some things down, and it's actually sped things up. But uh, all in all, I'm good. Things are positive, and I'm excited to be here with you guys down here at Urban Chestnut in the Grove. It's been a minute since we've been in this location. Agreed. I think it was on the last episode we talked about Urban Chestnut in general. Like if you had to choose. Beer's great in both places, but you... Uh, I told you this is my favorite place, you so go, I'm happy. If you're in the mood for pizza, yep. you come here to the Grove, Urban Chestnut, on Manchester in the Grove. If you want a smash burger, you go to Midtown. Yeah. I feel like really long tables and uh, sitting out on Manchester in the Grove and yeah. doing a, a <clears throat> self-guided brewery tour, you come to the Grove. Yeah, it's uh, for those of you that have been down here, you know, but if you haven't been down in the city in a minute... And you love beer, craft beer, and phenomenal pizza. Hand toss too. Hand like, toss. It's, it's all made it's here. It's good, really good pizza. And I, I also like the idea that there are a few more beverage options here in yeah. the Grove, meaning different beers. Like I'm trying the uh, Konomi. It's a Japanese style lager. I noticed Never that had it. Look, they don't look, have it. Looked a little cloudy. Looked it's pretty cloudy, a little poppy. You guys wouldn't like it. What but you, uh, what you got there, Jared? I got the Kolsch. Going old school? Yeah, I guess I am. It, it's tasty. You can't complain. I like all their beers. Yeah, I've got the, uh, I've got the Budweiser of uh, Urban A Zwickle. Love nice. it. Nice. Um, got got another guest here today. An OG, a true OG in St. Louis soccer. Going to be rolling in with us in just a little bit. Uh, wanted to kind of do a quick uh, catch up recap. Um, Last few episodes in particular, you know, we've been really kind of college heavy. I, yeah. I, I think it's fair to say, right? Uh, we had uh, two episodes back. We had Mr. Kevin Robson from Indiana University, coordinator, recruiting coordinator, and associate head coach. Uh, we just had Kale Wasserman on from uh, SIUE men's program uh, last episode. Uh, just, just some fun, I, you know, for lack of a better word, fun. Uh, conversations regarding what they do. You know, if you love soccer and you've got kids that are in the process or you're just kind of curious as to, uh, you know, a little bit of what's in the uh, what's in the soup, what's the secret sauce, so to speak, as to how these programs continue to do what they do. Uh, those are great, two, two great episodes to touch on. The one thing that we talked about two episodes back, and there's just so many new angles to it, uh, we really... Uh, Jared, you and I in particular, we dove into Messi and his uh, newfound home in Miami. Um, you know, and the press is not letting up on this one. You know, it's it's one of those things. I think the effect that he is having on this league is arguably uh, as valuable, as powerful 
as the World Cup in 94 giving us the opportunity to get the league. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's going to have <clears throat> ripple effects across every team. I mean, the social media for the Inter-Miami social media, I think they, they went up 5.3 million. Uh, more than that. I just looked <laughs> at it an hour ago. <clears throat> they, were, they were 1.2 million prior to signing them. Yeah. Uh, they're at 8.3 million followers on Instagram. Which is the highest professional sporting franchise in North America. Correct. There is not a sporting franchise in any sport that has that many followers in their social media. The other thing that has an effect, and this is going to be they're a weird... They're in last place. Yeah, they're also the worst team in the East. But the weird thing, too, is I'm, I'm trying to split hairs here, maybe just connect unconnected tissue, but did you see the roster for the U.S. Men's National Teams coming to St. Louis for the Gold Cup? I did not. Do you know how many international players are on it? Uh, how many are on the roster? 26, I think. 26. 25. Three. Three. You Three. know how many goals are in the midfield? <laughs> One. One. It's all MLS players. It's all players you've... There Probably. might be 20 goals in the in the front line. Yeah, it's oh it's a roster God. that's already... I'm surprised you didn't see this on all the, the fan pages because a lot of people who paid good money, in, including myself, uh, for tickets for the Gold Cup here coming up at the end of June, not that it's disappointing. It's still it's still our boys, still you know our team, but sure, I mean, it's not a, any of the players There's that, a difference between being patriotic and supporting the team and being realistic and hopeful and looking at the roster... Knowing that's not our best. No, I mean, it's and what's the date on that? By the way, this is yesterday. No, no, no. The date of the game coming up is uh, roughly when twenty eighth, I think. Yeah. Okay. So we're knee deep in international break. There's nobody that's not available, and in fact, Reem would be the only one for me because of the injury. Broke, broken arm. Right. I. I. And it's at least I. I can't even believe that. DeAndre the St. Louis players aren't involved. Yeah, DeAndre Yedlin is the most senior person on the team with 78 caps. And then you've got Jordan Morris, Long, Roldan, Turner, Miazga, and Miles Robinson. Well, U.S. soccer is, I mean, it's its fighting for an identity at this point. I, I, I saw today there was an article that came out. Uh, Insider wrote the report about there were are currently 10 Ten coaches that are we we went from one or two maybes you know fighting with soccer moms and dads to ten that are on this list uh, that include uh, close to half of the list are European and or Central South American leads. So I don't know. I mean, it's the World Cup is coming. It's going to be here quick. We need. I think we need some stability. you know, it does. It doesn't give me a uh, huge amount of confidence. No, and it, it, again, it's not one of those things where I'm trying to complain. It's just, it's just an interesting development when that was announced. The Gold Cup's coming to St. Louis, and the Gold Cup was going to be. You know, we're trying to repeat, right? Yeah. I mean, we won it in the last time, and I think. Well, okay. We'll, we'll, I guess we're going to give it a shot. Let's talk about, um, I guess if we're going to complain, let's talk about another topic where people are complaining. Uh, you, two, you two both were there, too. Uh, this past Sunday's game, LA Galaxy, right? Yep. Um, I had Keller's graduation party. Yeah. 
Uh, so I was not able to attend. I watched a little bit of the highlights, saw the goal, saw both goals. Um, seemed to me from afar kind of like a lackluster game. Maybe yeah, like my, a lazy Sunday? You know, my take was um, I thought the stadium was good. I thought the fan was good. Another sellout. Uh, the fans, I mean, uh, another sellout. Um, the goal that we scored was classed by Giochini. Um I, I'm not going to complain about the refs. I mean, the ref got completely bamboozled by the style of play. Um, awful. Um, but that's not the reason we won, lost, tied. We didn't lose – or we didn't tie that game because of the ref. Um, but the ref was completely um, – the amount of non-contact fouls was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then and you know and then you got to be better. You got to close. I mean, a mistake by the right back, and um, it's hard to win in this league. And he's got to be better. So, so we are or aren't going to complain about the ref. I'm not going to complain <laughs> about the ref ever because we were winning one that. nothing in the game, and we got to close. But the ref was fucking awful. Is that in your professional opinion, or it's, did you Google yeah. that? So no. I was actually I was actually texting with George Gansner during the match. He's oh, former the ref, the, the ref former. FIFA, former MLS ref, uh, friend of our show, and, and, and I said something to the effect that I, I feel like you should go talk to this guy at halftime. And what he was said, he going to do? Give him a hug? And he said, Say like. he said, I think fortunately for us, we haven't had as many fouls called. So in his opinion, and he said it was going to be unpopular, he believed that the ref was a little less whistle heavy than it could have been because it was sloppy there was a lot of of blatant content blatant contact some unnecessary contact a lot yeah. of pulling a lot of, of of jersey grabbing and i think that's what the ref was trying to pull you know pull back from that's where the, the first yellow card i think came from was a a shoulder shrug yeah so I the, don't, the amount know. of the amount of calls that the ref called um, where the dude looked like he needed to be airlifted, where after the play stopped. <laughs> I mean, but that's um, an LA He's okay, thing. folks. I that's mean, it, that, that's the thing. So the MOS, the league, the ref has to know that this is L.A. coming in. That's their style of play. Kudos to them for fooling the idiot. Yeah, brought to you by Harvey Weinstein, you right? Know, I, I can't even believe I mean, it was so blatantly <laughs> bad. But, again, you can't blame the ref. You're winning that game one nothing. You have a mistake in the right back. It's it's hard to win in yeah, this the league. Yeah, ref, the ref was not the cause of our loss, and that's – the unfortunate part is there was no well, scapegoat. Well, not, not, not according to the 22,600 people in the SEL fan club page. It was clearly the ref's fault, according no. to well, all and, of and, them. And, and I, for the first time <laughs> in, in city history that I can re recall, and I've been to almost all the home games, the biggest chant we heard in the stadium was, ref, you suck. Ref, you suck. So nice. energy level <laughs> wasn't fan, great either. It wasn't. It was kind of cold and dreary, and and it was a little. It's a bleh. Sunday. Yeah, it was Sunday weird. It's our first day game. All right. So, so last thing I want to talk about real quickly before we jump to break and bring on our guest, uh, another complaining uh, topic. I was at soccer park last night watching my little man U10s. They're out there having fun. They're playing small sides, ready for soccer school, and all of the parents. Over the past week to two weeks, I've been getting the email. And I literally just, I, I was laughing. I was laughing in my head outwardly, listening to where little Johnny should have been, where little Jamie shouldn't have gone, how the red team is going to win it. And, and I'm thinking these kids, they're, they're four foot two. They weigh, you know, 58 pounds. Nobody's hit puberty yet. Like the, the chaos, and you could just watch the parents 
uh, migrating from one group to another to, to ask about the emails. How'd the grill do that night? Uh, pretty good. There were a lot of buckets. <laughs> there was a lot of mickle. You know, but, but I, well. you know, you know it, and I was just sitting there and I'm thinking about what we do and the conversations that we have and the people that we bring on. And I'm watching like the mental chaos of youth soccer, specifically the parents' uh, interpretation of what's going on. It's getting out of hand. Well, but it's also another another element that we, I don't know if we've really talked about it too much in the context of youth soccer and it's not unique to St. Louis, but think about the social environment for a parent in that club right now. Their, their social sphere is revolving around that team that their kid is on currently. Well, the vast, so, the, the, I was eavesdropping on all of them and the vast majority of them were, were legitimately less concerned with the team that their child landed on and who the new parents are. That's what I'm saying. So I think it's it's less I think I'm it's like, less about where the where their kid is. is. I think that is a focus for some, that, you know, where their kid plays and the development of their own child. No. But I think that the mumbling and grumbling also comes from well shit, I don't I don't like those people. I don't want to have to travel to Ohio with those people. I no, like I these people. But I can tell you as a parent who's going through it also, um, it is stressful because you don't, that unknown is just, it's, it's hard. And we finally got a, a note for, for Beckett, for my little man, that he made a team that he had tried out for. And so we're very excited about that. Um, but um, Did you call and complain? I did not call Sweet. and complain. <laughs> no. All right. No. <laughs> not yet. No. Not it's yet. it's coming. We'll, we'll see. All right, here we go. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to make sure all of our glasses are filled. And we're going to bring our guest on. And we'll be right back, people. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. All right, people, we're back. Down here at uh, Urban Chestnut in the Grove, just got our guest a cold yellow beer. Looks beautiful, by the way. They all do. That's the one thing about Urban Chestnut beers. They always look, I don't know, it's a weird thing. All beer is beer, right? It's liquid. It's some shade of yellow, brown, It's the glassware. It's It's the prep. It's, uh, you know, the glass wash before they, they pour the beer. Yeah. It's always got that kind of edge froth the lacing it is lacing kind of reminds me of christmas story <laughs> fragile <laughs> must be italian must be italian we're rolling in with uh little almond brothers for this one because um, i'm wrecking my head for our guest today and i'm like you know what this 
This guy's an old school North County kid. Based on when he played, we know what he probably listened to, and probably he was probably knows people KC95. that have, He probably knows people that have gotten guitar lessons from an Almond. Probably yes, that's another reason, right? Toss him up there, Devin Almond. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, there we go. Uh, we are pleased to welcome a r- recent birthday boy yesterday, I believe. Yep. Uh, and more importantly, the one of the 2023 St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame inductees. The Mr. Mark Moser. How are you doing, Mark? I'm great. This is uh, this is a blast. I, I love listening to you guys, and uh, I'm glad you're having me on and uh, have a little fun. Yeah. Heck yeah. No, no. I mean, we uh, we covered the X's and O's before we hit the red light, and you, you were fully aware that we have no format uh, or filter in the case of Jared. Um, so <laughs> we appreciate you still <laughs> joining us in spite of. So let's, you know, let's just, let's get right Back to the basics. Uh, we were talking uh, just a second ago, uh, and I mentioned in, in the intro here, you're you're a North County kid, right? Yeah. Belfont Neighbors, born and raised. Uh, both my brothers and I all grew up in Belfont Neighbors, played at St. Jerome's growing up, and then, uh, and then jumped into the Narco Soccer Club. Uh, my dad, who was never played soccer in his life, was a football and a baseball player, drafted by the White Sox. Uh, but his kids started playing soccer, so he kind of dug in, and you know there wasn't a whole lot out there. There was no internet, so I remember he had some books, and yeah. you know he never got into coaching. He was more on the organization side, and um, I remember sitting at the kitchen table, and he was doodling on a white napkin, and that logo is still to this day the Narco Soccer Club logo. Yeah. I, wow. I remember it. I can see it right now. Yep. We, we used to, I mean, we played you guys all the time, the club all the time. <clears throat> um, so I got to ask, what was the rough time frame as to when he kicked the club off? Well, the club had already started, but they really didn't have a logo. So, I mean, we're going back uh, 70, the mid-70s. Okay. Is, wow. uh, you know, the Narco Sucker Club. And it was, at one point, it was tied into, and I don't know whether it was a sponsorship Pepsi was involved, right? And it was Narco and Pepsi kind of together. Um, but yeah, like I said, growing up playing for all those teams, and then my dad's big thing was he was very organized. So we planned. He planned a trip every year, and we took usually eight to ten teams out to Pikes Peak. Oh, that's a great term. Pikes Peak Invitational. Um, was fortunate. I I was probably under twelve, maybe fourteen. Um, we played the first. We played the first ever soccer game that was allowed to be played in Air Force Academy's stadium. Oh, that's, oh, wow. oh, that's we, phenomenal! We played, uh, I think, Lakewood, uh, and the reason we got to play in that stadium and they allowed soccer was because our good friend here in St. Louis, Denny Long, mm-hmm. donated a big old scoreboard to the Air Force Academy <laughs> that had uh, Budweiser on it. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with Soccer's a little not bribery. Bad. Soccer's no, not no, bad. Look at the scoreboard. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so so that would have been the days then, too, because we had uh, Julie Scott, Julie mm-hmm. Softner on. I mean, Jim and Scott Gallagher, the original iteration, that came to fruition right about the same time, a, little, a couple years later. But Yeah, because it was Ruiz... Mexican mm-hmm. restaurant before that, before right. it turned into, into Scott Gallagher. Yeah. Because um, a lot of my older brother, I know that he played for Narco, but he played against those Ruiz teams yep. that went on to win 
Yeah, it's it's so like, and we we've we've mentioned it a number of times on the show. Just the 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 pipeline of North County, North City. You know, from you know, go back to like a Bill McDermott in the city, but. You know, I think of uh, Terry Mickler, and I think of Gene Baker, and I think of all these high school coaches, Greg Villa, you know, the rest of them. You know, there was just something in the water there, and you came from a household where your father was more football, you know, the big three, big four sports. Uh, what, what, drew, what drew you and your siblings to soccer? Was it CYC-based, or was it just a interest out of the gate? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, growing up in St. Jerome's Parish, you know, when you got to kindergarten, you signed up for soccer and we you know I did basketball I did baseball I did all that I was actually a better baseball player than I ever was growing up as a soccer player did you wear shin guards um, on your calves in, as a kindergartner at St. Jerome's <laughs> no I, that, that was a little later <laughs> on uh, and I just ran I forget I ran into somebody the other day and he was telling his kid that this guy wore shin guards in the back and when I was in college I did I wore <laughs> shin guards in the back of my calves because I knew I was going to get get hammered. Yeah, you know, and it, part of it was my style of play and the way I developed as a player. It was uh, I had some paybacks coming because I dished out a fair amount of uh, damage. <laughs> Karma, you yeah. know. It's a, yeah. but you were prepared for it. Right? Yes, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So so all right. So your your club days early. Your dad's uh, heavily involved with the club. He's do, he he's designing it. He's driving you guys. You're training everything else. Uh, where where'd you play high school ball? I played at Riverview Gardens. Okay. Uh, which was not a powerhouse by any means. Right. Um, probably the other. You know, there was some players before me. Denny Lee, Mark Dorsey, who went into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Who's my boss at KTRS Radio. Wow. Um, played at Riverview Gardens. Pat Baker, who was a great goalie at St. Louis University, um, played at Riverview. But that was, I had a choice actually. My parents gave me the opportunity I could go to Rosary or Riverview. And most of the guys that I played club ball with went to Rosary. Yeah. But most of my friends that I hung out and did a lot of stuff with um, were in the public school realm. So I just decided, you know what? I, mean, I see those guys all the time playing soccer year round. So I went to Riverview and uh, played there. The funny part is, growing up earlier than that, um, I was a goalie. Yeah. Which uh, Eric Delabar, I still remember going to camp, and Eric Eric had a big influence on me, um, just learning the game as going. I mean, I mean, my parents wasted all this money sending me. What to, year was that? Uh, this would have been in. I mean, it had been in the seventies. I was ten, eleven, twelve. Was years he old. the scariest looking dude in the oh, world ever at that I mean, age? He, he was. <laughs> Eric, that was when Eric was full on Wolfman. <laughs> I mean, he had, and he has the most piercing eyes. Yeah. And I still remember we, we had a kid from Idaho at our soccer camp, and I don't remember what he did. He fucked up <laughs> because Eric lost it. I mean, lost it. And I, still to this day, I saw. I just saw Eric at a funeral the other day, and if Eric would have said a certain word. I probably would have shit myself because <laughs> I've never been scared by any other person. But that day at camp, when this kid from Idaho did something, he did. We had a, we had girls in our group as well, and I think he did something to one of the girls. And I mean, Eric just ripped into him and all of us. Never ever forget it. Guilty by association. Everybody, yes. everybody went down. Oh yeah, everybody was going down on that one. Um, so I, so so was it because of watching his. Uh, uh, psychosis breaks, <laughs> psychotic breaks. Did you decide, I don't want to be a goalie anymore. Time to move up the field. You know what? I just, 
it was something, and I don't remember what year I, I wound up playing on a team where the other goalie was better than I was, mm. and he was bigger than I was. Yeah. Um, and I, I played in the field, and you know I had played in the field at other times and whatever, but something clicked, and I had this knack for being a goal scorer. Um, and it's don't know where exactly it came from, but you know I did take a lot. Of, I remember Eric talking a lot at camps and we they talked about defenders and you know i still go back to the rule always was if you were defender first chance you got out by midfield go ahead hammer that forward yeah put him up in the stands and the rest of the game he's going to be looking around for you let him know who you are where you're at exactly Um, absolutely i kind of used a little reserve reverse psychology because i figured why can't i do that to the defenders and I'm going to yep. do it. They're going to be in their goal box. <laughs> so they're going to get a free kick, just like you're getting a goal kick. And the rest of the game, he's going to be wondering where I'm at. And it did. It created opportunities. It created freedom for me, uh, you know, as I went on to play further and further. And it was just... Uh, so so coming out of Riverview, then, you uh, you started off at Lewis and Clark? Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, how many years did you spend there? I spent two years there. Ed Hunnicky was uh, my coach for Narcos. I guess we were probably U17, you maybe U18. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he invited me over to Lewis and Clark. Uh, I didn't play soccer my senior year in high school. Um, did, by? by Not by design. I kind of screwed up on some classes and was ineligible. Uh, you know, it's refreshing to see another guy in this world that was successful or that had a lot of success. Um, and you screwed up one time as a as a young adult, um, and um, more than once. You, you know, I mean, it wasn't all cupcakes yeah, we're, and rainbows. We're early in this show. That's that's the first one we're going to talk you about. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead. But Ed, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, and went over there basically as a walk on. And after about I don't know three of the preseason games, um, he called my parents and said, uh, now, my, my parents are hardworking folks and, you know, money wasn't flowing out of trees. And he said, hey, I have an opportunity. I have somebody that got a grant and I have a, I have a scholarship available. And I want to ask your opinion if you think that'll make Mark work harder and, you know, really appreciate this. Well, what the hell are my parents going to say? Oh, yeah. no, no, we want to pay for it. <laughs> so, of course, they took it. And, uh, you know, we, we had two great teams both years at Lewis and Clark. Um, finished third. We lost to Flow Valley one both years, and we lost to Flow Valley twice in the semifinals of the NJCAA Junior College Tournament. Right. Um, but that was kind of where it really kind of clicked for me uh, as far as playing at a, at a pretty high level. And, and scoring goals. And that was also the time because you spent two years there and then you uh, ended up going up to Springfield to Sagamon State. Sagamon State University, which was a, which it was basically half the team was either Lewis and Clark and a couple guys from Flow Valley or the rest of the guys were from Chicago. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, you got a school like Triton up in Chicago, a junior college that I think has 50,000 students. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so it was kind of a mixture. We had some international guys. Um, Sagamon State for years had been pretty much all international guys, which 
pretty much is what college is now. I mean, yeah. almost all the colleges. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, in, a, in AIA at that time in particular, because of the, the, the more lax rules on who, who could recruit. So. And we had uh, he had some connections. We had a couple Liberians, yep. um, both really, really good players. Um, and the group that I had that I played with up there my junior year, we wound up going on and winning the national championship and then got invited to a tournament. And I think it's, they're trying to revive it, but it was the division one champs, the oh, NAI right. champs, yep. the champions of Mexico and the champions of Ireland. Yep. So we went to that tournament in Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, and played UCLA and beat UCLA. I just went and beat them. You know, small college from <laughs> yeah. Southern Illinois. Yeah. Go out to the West Coast, um, beat, beat UCLA. Yeah. I mean, we got off the airplane, and actually I was playing at the time, Kudis had won the Open Cup. So I was actually in Mexico playing with Kudis and then flew to Las Cruces and met the team there. So I was already there. And while I'm sitting in the, at the gate, UCLA gets off the plane, and they have their Adidas decked out sport coats on you know now they had i think at that time six of their starting 11 was playing with the u.s national team at the time i'm sure right that's uh, where the whole national team was from that seaboard basically yeah pretty much yeah. and here comes the gate opens up and the hillbillies from springfield illinois come off and then we got it, it was like it was like a scene from the replacements <laughs> yeah. you know duct tape on their shoes <laughs> i mean we had mismatched sweatsuits oh for sure and i mean i think peter green had the little cannon jersey and that we had some of those sweatsuits and they were kind of, you know, some guys had ones from a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, they did not expect us to right. be able to play and, and we did. And then we wound up losing in the finals to uh, University of Dublin, Ireland. Wow. Wow. Uh, but it was, I mean, unbelievable experience. And for us, it, it didn't really matter that we lost to Dublin, Ireland. You got no, to be UCLA. 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 Talk about the guy, um, you know, uh, ex-player, uh, uh, you know, ex-teammate of yours, uh, Donigan, who we've had on the show, Dan, um, involved with the club, uh, Development Academy. Uh, one of your teammates on that team was Marty Pike. Yep. Talk about that guy because he has gained a lot of recognition um, in his youth coaching development. Dan Donigan said on our, our show that he would put him up against anybody developing youth. Um, what's, your, what's, your, what's your thoughts on Marty Pike? Because he was a damn good player, too. He was huh? a really good player. Played at Forest Park and then went to Sagamon. He was a year older than me, so he had already played there a year when I got there. Um, probably, I will say this, the most confident player I've ever played with. I mean, never, ever felt pressure. Always felt like he was the best player on the field and would <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when it came down to crunch time, I mean, he was just – he was great at possessing the ball. He was a great passer. I mean, I loved him because all I knew, if I made the right run, no matter where he was, he was going to be able to get the ball. Wow. Um, but then what he's done since then, down at Bush and now with the St. Louis Development Academy and the work that he does with kids, yeah. um, and I just talked to him on the phone the other day. I mean, Marty, every time I talk to him, he's the same person as he was 30 years ago. I mean, he's still like a little kid and that's why he has such a great rapport with these young kids and why he's able to teach them and make it fun um i mean it's a huge asset for because i know he was there he went to lufuse and now he's with the development academy who by the way had a pretty good weekend last weekend i think they, they won sure three 
of the state cups. I know the 08s won it. I think the 09s won it too. My son's team won it. <clears throat> the uh, United STL. They, you know, you talk about the uh, the hodgepodge crew, right? Where everybody, nobody knows really who you are because the other team's so decked out. Yep. Well, this was a group of all the Webster kids that just won the 3A title, rolling out in a pur- purple jerseys and. You know, and they were then they played Fuse, they played Gallagher, and then they played KC United. I think was in the final, and you know everybody's like, "Who's this United STL?" And I think that's kind of indicative, really, of kind of an underlying theme that we talk about often, and that is in our backyard here. You know, in your team up at Sacramento, in particular, with the with the uh, Lewis and Clark kids and the Flow Valley kids, there's talent everywhere. You know, so it's like it's fun to watch that when you get at these levels. So my question to you is, you know, coming out of the Sagamon, uh, you know, experience, you win your first year. Uh, how far did you guys go uh, second year? We finished third. Third. Okay. So you're coming. You in? Did you reflect at that point, knowing that? You know, here you are, North County kid. You went to Riverview, which was not a powerhouse. You, you know, you you talked about the problems you had your senior year. You make the transition. You get the opportunity to Lewis and Clark. You then go to Sagamon. Now you're reaching the highest levels. You're scoring a ton of goals. You're getting all the accolades. What are you thinking coming into that fourth year and final year, like from a personal standpoint, from a soccer standpoint? Did you know what you wanted to do and and what was what happened to transition you into con- continuing to play? Uh, well, you know, I knew I wanted to play. Being growing up here in St. Louis, especially back in that time, the Steamers was the biggest thing going. Right. I mean, it was unbelievable. And anybody that, you know, what's happening right now down at City Park, take those 20,000 people and sham them in the old barn. Smoking. Drinking, smoking, drinking, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Inhaling. It, it, it was, that's, <laughs> you know. that's what it was. I mean, that's so that for me, there wasn't really a lot of opportunities to go play outdoors. So, I mean, it, I know I'm having a great college career. Um, at the time, I'm studying criminal justice. I was going to be a cop for the Illinois State Police. Um, glad I decided not to do that. But it was just the next transition was to try and get drafted to play for the Steamers. Um, I got invited to the Senior Bowl. They actually, the the MISL had a Senior Bowl. They held it in Cleveland and they brought in probably 50, 60 guys, uh, probably more than that, up to Cleveland. You spent a week up there, all the MISL coaches, Tony Glavin was the coach of the Steamers at the time. Um, they tra- You trained for a week. They had classes on, you know, trying to help you with con- how to deal with contracts, how to deal with money. Yeah. It was it was really well put together. Um, I got drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Force, which was another club that was the time the old Richfield Coliseum in Cleveland. They were filling that thing, and it was bedlam, just really? like it was here in St. Louis. Wow! So I was excited. Um, get drafted, have an apartment, ready to move up there. I'm playing in the Prairie State games. <laughs> Illinois the Prairie, Prairie State, State games. games. <laughs> for Mike Moore. I still have my t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> what are we doing that for? Is that just to keep touches, keep fitness, or is that just to go party with your buddies in camp? A little bit of both. You know, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was in the summer, and I mean, I had played, the, when I was at Lewis and Clark, I played for the South region yeah. and played with Trichu and guys like that. Mm-hmm. And then once I moved up into Springfield, I wound up playing for the Central, playing for a guy, a guy named Ted Eck, who 
played for the national oh, yeah. team and mm-hmm. uh, did all that. And we were up in Champaign, Illinois. And I'm going to guess we were out past curfew. We were in a bar no. at like 1230 in the morning. And I'm watching TV. And on this TV screen, Sports Center comes up. St. Louis Steamers, Cleveland Force, fold. Oh, wow. Mike, fold? What the hell is that? So I go to a pay phone. Did you go get your cell phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who did you text? So I go to a pay phone, and I call the general manager in Cleveland. And I'm like, this is, you know, now it's 1.30 in the morning in Cleveland. He answers. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, you know, Mr. Wolfstein decided to pull the plug, and they're done. So... I had actually, and I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. There was, I mean, literally, that was, I just found out, uh, didn't know if they were going to have like an expansion draft or what was going to happen. So I wound up going and playing in Dayton, Ohio, in what was the AISA turned into the NPSL. Right. Um, played in Dayton for, I guess, three or four months. Got traded to Memphis. Got to Memphis and realized, well, once I got down there that, I had been playing on a broken ankle for about a month, yeah. and uh, so I sat out. Happened at the Prairie Games. Yeah. <laughs> it probably might, have, might have happened at the bar. Yeah, at 1.45 a.m. after the phone call. Uh, Those damn stairs. Then went back to Memphis the next year, started playing, winds up getting traded again to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, went up there, Ooh. played with uh, Warren Lipka, who was a St. Louis guy, yep. Bill Betcher. Uh, Dan O'Keefe was, uh, Dan, I lived with Dan O'Keefe and his wife uh, for about four months playing up there. And I mean, that was, it was a, it was a trip because about a month into my stay there, we went to go to practice and the guy running the indoor facility basically says, you guys can't practice here anymore. The owner hasn't paid the bills, so on and so forth. And uh, I'm like, so what, what are we going to do? We literally wound up practicing for about the last two months of our season in a gym. What a weird time uh, for our professional leagues. And we've had many people on here um, talk about um, kind of the dog and pony show. Belief Great brewery. Of it. Great like, brewery. like the the economics of it and, and how hard it was for a league to stick and and I know you were involved later on, which we'll get into in the show, and you know the ambush and steamers back and forth, and I, I it's just it, it's it, it's so interesting to listen to you guys talk about it, who lived it, who were bouncing around, and a lot of times you guys were bouncing around because teams is flipping folded. Yeah, I mean it's just it, and like and you're in the prime of your career, you're scoring goals. I mean it's just, I mean what's next, you know? I mean I I know that in Fort Wayne. The assistant general manager came in basically to fill us in on what was going on. Yep. And he pulled me aside, and he knew that I had just gotten traded there. And he's like, here's the deal. You're not taking a – we're not going to cut. Everybody else, the entire team, took like a major pay cut. And nobody was making that much money back then anyway. So he's like, we're going to keep your – I said, okay, that's great. So, I mean, needless to say, when they showed up on the set every other Friday – I made sure I was the first one out of there to the bank to cash that check. Because you didn't know. The funny, here's a great story. Play, we finished the season in Fort Wayne. And Fort Wayne was just, I mean, back then you were playing three games in three days. So we played a home game on a Friday night in Fort Wayne, then had an away game late Saturday afternoon, like a 4 o'clock start in Chicago. 
and then had a three o'clock afternoon game in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Jeez. We drove. Yeah. And we didn't drive, and we weren't in a bus because the league's running us. We got in, they had these vans, and we get in this van, and there's like a car seat in there and some kids' shoes. I don't even know whose van it was. Somebody stole it from the truck stop. <laughs> we actually, we actually, I mean, it was such, it, we were such a hodgepodge of guys. Are you sure they weren't Tony Glavin shoes? They didn't have a pocket. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but we, we actually won. I think we're one of the we were one of the first teams ever to win all three games in three days, and it was I mean we had nothing to lose and yeah. Uh, you know, it's weird. It's, I, I I hear these stories, and you're not the first person to kind of go through in that journeyman stage. And I I think of the most banal movie, but one of my favorites is basketball. Did you ever see that? Yes. And <laughs> basketball was a sport that they created, basically like lazy basketball. And they had the Dinslow Cup, and they had all these different players that would bounce around, and then the leagues would just, you know, the teams would just fold because the owners. And it's so interesting to hear your side of that story, which is the player piece, right? So the travel, the sleep, the money, the food, the I got to sleep on somebody's couch for well, a couple months just to well, just yeah. to keep on going. I'm going to take the baton from you there because literally like I've been you know I in my head imagining your generation in particular um um, keeping the movie reference going yeah. here, right? Slapshot. Oh, I think yeah. of that bus, that crew, those characters, right? Probably very similar. You guys probably have identical stories. Oh, there's right? so many identical. I mean, the, the team in Harrisburg, their bus one year caught on fire on <laughs> Highway 70, and the players are all standing on the side of the road watching their equipment burn. I mean, we, <laughs> I go back, we played in Detroit on, I think, maybe a Friday night. We had a game the next day in... Dayton, Ohio. So we are going to take a bus from uh, Detroit to Dayton. Well, it got so cold in Detroit that the bus driver could not get the doors open. Oh, my God. All our gears in there. Couldn't get the bus started. <laughs> so we rent cars and drive. We show up to Dayton probably an hour after game time. Now, they, we've already called ahead. And told, we get there. We don't have, we don't have any equipment. We don't Can't have shoes. Yeah. We, we, I think they had one bag that somebody took in the hotel that had some shoes in it. We're borrowing shoes from the other team. They're out there doing a clinic on the field trying to keep the 3,000 people that are going to watch this game there, you know, doing a thing. And That's a lot of juggling. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, and we're just, you know, we get there and we're like, whatever. Let's just get this thing well, going. Well, here, here's what I was thinking about, though. Like, the, these these images that, you, that, you're, that you're painting, I mean, the, for me, that's the fun stuff. That's the cool stuff. I love hearing those stories. But I also think about it um, from a player perspective. You know, you, you coming out of your college years, you're rolling it at, at a clip. You know that it, 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 you know, it's kind of that the tiger analogy. You know, when they ask him, you know, why, why can you not miss a putt? He's like, well, when the hole's this big, you don't miss, right? And you kind of had that going on in your career at that time. And for the what I call the mullet and muscle days of the MISL, right? <laughs> when you look at all the photos, you guys were like all scary wannabe hockey players. Yeah, um, that all occurred at. NASL is it, it, it folded. It's yep. folding or in process of folding, right? So the pinnacle of outdoor professional soccer, you guys were watching it die on the vine. And then you have this window of time in which you guys, uh, from an indoor perspective, 
you, that's your time to shine. You know, the steamers and the comets and all of that is, is going on whenever the outdoor game had, for the most part, failed, yep. right? And, and you fast forward to 96 post-World Cup, here comes the MLS. So there's this window of time in which players like yourself, you know, do, do you look back at it and does it ever frustrate you that you didn't have another opportunity or different options, specifically outdoor, you know, 11-11. Uh, does, that, does that ever bother you, get, looking at the time frame? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, I would have loved I mean, I, I had an opportunity to go to the Combine for the MLS when it was getting ready to start. Um, and at that time, I'm, you know, in the heat of my indoor career, scoring goals. Um, but be, it's a single, single entity. So basically, you were going to get drafted and they were going to say, hey, congratulations, you're going to get $24,000 <laughs> and you're going to live in L.A. Are you going to live in New York? Right. Yes. And I mean, I was making a lot more than that playing for the ambush here in town. I was working a full time job. I had a wife at the time and kids. So it, it wasn't I mean, I would have loved to have played, tried to play outdoor at, at that level. I mean, I played at the highest college levels. I have right. no doubt in my mind that if I would have played, I would have scored goals. Um, but it just, it was, it is, you know, now I look at, I think back about when I, you know, I've been down to city and I've seen their training facility and the whole, I'm thinking to myself, what, if I could have had that, yes. <laughs> oh, what, 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 is what, the what, sky? what, what, what is the, what is the sky? Yeah, exactly. What's yeah. the limit to yeah. how good maybe I could have been if I would have had that? Because the entire time I played for the ambush, I worked a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. I was thinking about this the other day. I used to get up in the morning. I lived in Chesterfield. Run the street. I, yeah. <laughs> you would run on the street, go to work, and then go train. I would drive my son to Ferguson to drop him off at his grandma's. Then I would go to work in Westport Plaza. I was a buyer for a home infusion company. Then I would leave and drive to Soccer House in South County and practice, then drive back to Ferguson, pick my son up, and come home. I mean, that was day in. That was basically every for six months. That's yeah. what I did. Um, and now, when you look at where where they have the ability to you know, make it their job, it's their job. Yes. You know, you get make up in the morning, job. you go down. <clears throat> all the, there's food laid out for you. You got yep. cryo machines. You got re you know, all the recovery stuff. Um, I mean, the recovery we had was. You know, maybe you found a trash can and put a bucket of ice in there and you stood in there. And, and you were holding a bush. Well, that was the great thing about after games. And I, and I found this I found this late in my career, how important that ice bath was and, and how it really helped. Mm -hmm. But the great thing was go in the locker room after the game and stand in that trash can and you'd have two or three Bud Lights or Bush or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever was in the locker room floating in there. You sit in there for a while, have a couple beers, and uh, you know. Then all of a sudden, these people are coming in the locker room with kids, and they want, you know, can we get an autograph? Yeah, like here. Hold I was my, one of those hold kids. My beer. Hold my I beer. remember <laughs> vividly being in there. I might have played at halftime, and being in there with you guys. And I remember being in the car afterwards, and my dad was like talking to my my mom they were drinking beers in there and yeah. i'm sitting in the back like with my i shirt. was probably smoking a cigarette in the yeah. locker room <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was well, like they were North drinking County, beers you know? I'm, like, I'm like and that's when i knew i wanted to play soccer <laughs> but when, when you talk about that those days of the the misl and in 
at maybe the beginning of the NPSL because once the MLS started, you started losing a lot of players to go right. play the outdoor game. But I mean, like, look at the National Soccer Hall of Fame. To me, it's kind of a joke with what's going on with them. That they're they. I mean, they did recognize Steve Zungle this year. Yep. Yeah. Um, but Steve Petcher, there is no doubt in my mind, Steve Petcher should be in the National Soccer Hall of Fame with what he did in his playing career as a rookie of the year for the Dallas Tornadoes, playing through there, all the indoor stuff. And I mean, if if the NASL would have stayed around, of course these guys would have all. But yeah. that time frame in the early '80s. The best players in this country and from around the world that were in this country were playing indoor soccer. How is the captain of the national team? How are they not for an extended period of time, mind you? It wasn't just that you know one sniff. He was the captain of the national team. They also played in St. Louis, where they had twenty-five thousand there every night, and they were in the top of the class. And he was the captain of that team as well. How? How? how I mean, how? How does he not make the Hall of Fame? It's crazy. I, I just think they look at that as they look down on it as oh that that's that wasn't soccer. But that was the that was the pinnacle then. Do do you yep. think though with the zung, jungle uh, inclusion? Do you think that's the icebreaker? Do you think there's the potential of? It, I think it could be because I think it has opened some eyes to some people that maybe look at it now and say you know what, maybe we should take a look at some of these guys. I mean, the, the names yep. of some of the guys have been on that veterans list for a while. Um, but I do think it, it's not their fault that there wasn't an outdoor league. Right. Because if Steve Petcher was 23 years old right now, he'd be playing in the MLS. Yeah. At center back, starting, and making first 11s every would, week. Would he have a faux hawk like Parker? Yeah. <laughs> Would a shorts be a short? Yeah, okay. no kidding. Uh, on the Parker thing, I, I want to cut the guy's hair. <laughs> Has anybody noticed Is he doing this that the he whole spends, and I told a buddy of mine, because he said that we were at the game the other day, and I said, he texts me on Sunday because he wasn't at the game he was watching. He's like, dude, I can't even watch this game anymore because every time they show Parker, He's fixing his hair. And I said, it'd be like a great drinking game. It's it's great for Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, let's you go hey, But I will a, say. Speaking sorry. of drinking game, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to get some refills real quick. Uh, we're going to roll out, take a short break. We're going to be back. We're going to talk more about Parker's hair uh, and uh, maybe uh, Klaus's hair as well, or lack thereof, <laughs> right? Uh, and we'll be right back with Mark Moser. Mark, thanks for joining us tonight. And gentlemen, time to get a refill. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox, with permission of course, I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you're interested in the secret sauce of success, check out the Baked In Podcast. Now, back to those old guys. All right, we're back. Refills taken care of. Yep, everybody. Um, Rolling out the Doobie Brothers. Another good old North County. That's a North County. Right? See? If you really want a North County, head east. Oh, my God. 
we will we will on, walk. Cha- on Chambers Road is where Head East had a house really? and stored their equipment. We will roll out with Head East today. All right. Remind me. Okay. I will. I, I I probably won't forget that though. Um, before the break, we rolled out. We were talking. We started digging in. Uh, actually, we were making fun of haircuts a little bit, uh, specifically <laughs> Tim Parker and his fingers through his hair all game long. I I get it too. I watch it. I I like how he plays. I like kind of that. I don't. You, you know what? You know when a player plays upright. You know when you you see them. Yep. The shoulders just seem to be higher than the head. You know, and they always play, you know, with that straight chest. He plays that way. No matter what direction he's running in, he's a big upright guy. But then the camera closes in and it's like And I'm I'm by the way, I'm not saying I'm not happy with Tim Parker <laughs> no, and the no, way Tim Parker is playing. I'm but it kidding. does drive me crazy watching him fixing his hair every six seconds. Does well, it drive him crazy? I don't know. Well clearly it doesn't, otherwise you would get a headband or cut it. <laughs> I mean, Mark, I'm 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 looking at this 1991 picture. <laughs> oh, there's there's, there's a mullet going on there. I'm wondering if your criticism's little projection. Uh, well, but mine. Can you address your he, hair. He's fixing the front of his hair. <laughs> mine was all in the back. That's true. That's it true. Party in I the didn't back. have it. Was a party they in the back. They had it long in back, so that as you were running past them and they would try to catch up, their, your hair would be in their face. Well, it right? always ma- made you look a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, it was like. Boy, he's fast. <laughs> That's what I've always thought about people with mullets. They must be really fast. I had them. I had one. Too. I, I had it because of the oh. ambush dicks. I mean, I like, was like, those guys are cool. They're drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, and they just scored five goals. Uh, speaking of that, I, I got to ask you a question, and I'll let JB take this wherever we're going, whatever rail we're going on. But we I have, have to do have this rails. because, um, and I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Um, 500 and something goals and 300 and something games. I mean, just an astronomical number. Um, a true goal scorer. In my opinion, and, and especially St. Louis here, there's not a lot of people that came from here that are actual true goal scorers. Taylor Twelman comes to mind when we say that. In our national team, um, the nine is a hot button topic. We are failing to score goals. Can you just talk about it? Like, I mean, what does it take? What is your opinion? Who should be in there? Are we doing it wrong? I'm just going to shut up and give you the floor. Well, I'm hoping that if things work out, we got a new addition that's going to be playing for this team, this Balagoon. And if you have watched any footage of him. I have. He's a goal scorer. He's a goal scorer. Yeah. And you know what? It's something that, and I've been asked this before, you know, can you work with my kid? No. There, you, you, yes, I can, we can go out and we can shoot all day and whatever. It's a mindset. Yeah. It's a mindset. It's and a given up. I'll, I'll give you an example. Watching the game the other day, the goal that Giacchini scores. Goal scores. That's a goal score. That's a goal that I would have scored. That's a run that I make. And he, to me, Giacchini's not a goal scorer. Okay. Klaus is a goal scorer. Yeah. Fair. Now, not to say that I'm not saying he's bad, good, indifferent. He's just to me. He's not a pure goal scorer. Yeah, and and I know exactly what you're talking about because when he what he did was a brilliant display of intuition and combined with skill. When Klaus, you know, early in the season when he was scoring, it was it was fluidity. It was constant. You knew that when the ball came close to him. You're just waiting for a poke. Well, but for me, it's more than that. A lot of Klaus's goals came not from a pure shot. 
Something work you can't rate. teach. No, that, it was work those, rate. It was those are the ball got goals. stuck to his foot. Yeah, he got banged up two or three times in the box, and still st- stuck it or kept pressing, got the rebound, pushed forward and put it in. And I think that is a lacking quality. But the the new player for for U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, we haven't seen him in international play yet. So obviously. There's going to yeah. be some tests I mean, who, there. Well, who, for well, you, me, who for you is the, the in the last three decades? Who, do who are the who are the guys in American soccer? Whether it was indoor, national, collegiate, do we have any true goal scorers? I mean, I I, I just don't like. You're a true goal scorer. I mean, when you go back, you look at like an Eric Winalda. Eric Winalda was a goal scorer. Okay. Um, Brian McBride was goal a goal scorer. scorer. And it was, and it, it really is. It's it's a mentality. I mean, when I know that when I stepped on the field, two things were going to happen in my mind. I was going to score, and we were going to win, and that was all that mattered. And I didn't give a shit what it took. You to might get play there. like shit too, but you're going to get two goals. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a that, lot that, of games. That's the that's the sign of a true striker, a true nine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is you know they typically. For you got a ninety-minute game, 80, 82, 84 minutes of the game, kind of to a degree, possibly even non-existent. But they're they, they can sniff the moments, you know, and or put themselves in a position to make a difference. And they get on balls that nobody else gets on. Well, so right. so that's one type of goal scorer, and I agree. I think that's that type that that natural in, intuitive uh, striker. I'll give you Chicharito, perfect example. Mm. I, I mean, wanted to. I wanted to see him play. Actually, so I did too. U.S. Soccer, the guy that I would that I would name as a goal scorer, but a different kind of goal scorer, a player that knew how or found a way to score big goals. Landon Donovan, he, I mean, he he racked them up, but he did it. He didn't have those inconsequential goals. He always seemed to be present on the big stage, which is a totally different skill set. You know, because and he it, he was not a guy that was going to get the ball at midfield nope. and beat three guys. He was going to be the guy that was going to streak through the box mm-hmm. and deflect a ball or get a long through ball and he could outrun anybody. Yeah. But he was, you're right, he was, he would probably be, he would probably go down. Him and Brian McBride, in my mind, go down as the two best goal scorers in, in the most recent era that we could look well, at. Well, we could all sit here and we can, and especially in St. Louis, we can name hundreds of players that have excellent players, excellent skill, excellent careers. Um, we can do it nationally. Um can we sit here and talk very long about true goal scorers? I don't think we can. I mean, I don't think there's a whole hell of a lot of them, and it's what's really our speed bump at the international level. Well, my, my, my opinion on that, Jared, is, you know, when you, you know, the proof is in the results and or more specifically the lack of results. You know, and, and the name that comes to mind for me, and I'd love to hear your take on it, Mark, is Christian Pulisic. I mean, he's been touted as our golden boy for really the past two, three years at a minimum. Um, you know, he's had his Chelsea run. He scored some big international goals. Um, but for me, at the national team level, I, he's not pulling the team. You know, and uh, uh, the the new... I Balagun. Thank you. Balagun. He's different. Now, we haven't seen him play. We haven't seen him with this group of players. Is he on the Gold Cup roster? No. That's bizarre. No. Nope. Why is he not on the Gold Cup roster? 
that. <laughs> Has somebody asked the question? I gotta, I gotta find that out. Only six. I think. <laughs> hey, only why don't six, you write the coach? I think only six of the players <laughs> from the, the 2022. <laughs> yeah. We don't I'm know who the, the coach is right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. So, is it, what, what two, what's your two cents on the coaching scenario? Um. Well, I, I mean, I, I think they have to go and find someone. I don't. Th- I mean, bringing Burhalter back, that's the worst thing they could do. In my, I'd rather they could have left it with the guy that just left. Yeah. But at this point, bringing Burhalter back, especially when you have a player, and you can say what you want about the whole scenario, Claudio Reina and his wife, and the whole thing was just a complete joke and a mess. And it, it, it was it was youth soccer in America is what it was. <laughs> At oh, yeah. the national team level. Right. That, that, to me, that sums it up. It was youth soccer parents at the national team level. Um, I, don't, I, you know, I don't know who the right person is. Well, let's do, let's do this. Let, let me, let's throw names out. I'll throw a name out, then Zach throw a name out, and you just quick grade. Uh, I'll go crazy out of the gate. Josie Mourinho. Don't know that I, – I don't, I don't know how – he would work with the players that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have a name. I think my stance has been it either needs to be an American who's proven that they can win maybe in, on the international stage, but well, Chirundolo's name just came up. Yeah. I believe that was yesterday. Jim Curtin's names popped up before in Philly. Um, you know, I, my personal, if I had to pick Zidane or, um, our, our Man City man that just won it. Pep, sounds like Pep. Pep might not be coming back. He's going to Red Bull. Um, no, NYCFC. Do you think so? Yeah. Same ownership group. Yep. But, He's never done but it. But him and Lutz, I believe he was involved in stealing that penguin. No. So well, they might, they might maybe, be. But yeah, maybe there's, there's some evidence that Lutz is holding over him. I, I want to get into something totally separate. And, and Jared, you kind of alluded to it. And, and Mark, you can talk about this as much as you want or don't want to. But I think the kind of the, the theme for our show has always been around the parenting side and, and the um, attitude, the culture, the um, I don't even know what you say it, the the behavior of the kids that we're raising and that, that are playing at this level and trying to get to where you were and, and higher. So can you talk a little bit about that that senior year that you missed and kind of you don't have to go into super detail or, or you can. It's up to you. I just want you to kind of talk back to how that all came about and do you look back on that as a learning experience a regret or something that you can take and 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 apply to other you know aspects of, of other people well i think i look clearly as a regret i mean i screwed up was academically ineligible and uh, wasn't you know i was penalized for it and I would have loved to have played my senior year in high school. And I mean, it, it turned out in the end, it all worked out. I went to Lewis and Clark and uh, was able to go on and have a good college career and then play professionally. But, um, you know, I think I definitely learned from that. I mean, you had to do the same thing. I had to do the same thing in college. You had to be eligible every year. So you had to go to class. You had to do what you needed to do to get the grades to, you know, one, try and go and get a degree. But if you wanted to play soccer, you had to be eligible. So that was that was a life lesson that I think I learned that, um, help, you know, it's, I think it's helped me down the road here. Um, the, the one thing that you did mention about the, the parenting and I still go back to my dad ran the Bridgeton soccer, indoor soccer club on St. Charles rock road. 
years ago. And he, he, I he love al- that place. He always had, other than yeah. the sand on the turf. Oh, my God. Which, gosh. by the way, <laughs> and, and people bitch. Every, I still see people that bitch. That sand on the turf. It was an insurance thing. Like the, the insurance company came out every six months and would check the turf to make sure it had so much sand on it because that's the kind of turf that it was. You had to put this sand down to keep from well, kids blowing out. We can assure you that our skin is still in that <laughs> yeah. sand. Oh, there's no doubt about it. But my dad always said the best thing that could happen for kids soccer would be to tell the parents your kid plays at eight fifty or at nine o'clock this morning. You can drop him off at the door at eight fifty and you could pick him up at ten oh five. Yeah. And that's what they do now. Yeah. That is actually what they kind of want. <laughs> I mean, that's the impression I get. And it makes sense. I mean, I, as bad as it sucks, and we can sit here and get in the weeds and talk about this or that or feelings or whatnot, but these academies, whether it's at Lou Fuse, whether it's at Scott Gallagher, whether it's in a different city, metropolitan area, whether it's an MLS professional academy, the coaching, the directors, they're not interested in what the parents think, who they are, to be around the refs. To, 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 they could care less. Drop your kid off. Give them to us and trust in us. And let's see where it shakes out. Yeah, right. walk up to the top. Go get a bucket of beer. Yep. You know, and then ask little Johnny what so do they you, want for dinner. Being soccer dads, and I, and I was at one point with my son, and I'm looking forward to uh, my grandson starting here pretty soon. Are you guys with the group watching the game, or are you down on the end, kind of by yourself? <laughs> I would say more B. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I would say JB is somewhere by himself, stationary. Um, Zach moves a little bit, and then I am on fields one through nine during the game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I move all around. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll come in for a drive by like Drew needs to pick his shit up, or uh, did you see that goalie save? And then I'll be by myself. And Zach, you're a lot like that. Yeah, I, I move around a lot. I think, it, but it's an evolution because I was a coach for a while, and so I was pretty stationary on the sideline in one central area and I, that's my preferred so I can see the whole field and I like doing that but now I I find myself distancing from the other parents and, and spectators more than, than I was before and I think it's a lot because of this show and people we've talked to and you know professional players who have talked about how they manage it with their kids which is uh, we drop them off we walk away and then we say hey where do you want to go to dinner um, afterwards right. and I think if we could apply that, that's great. But I, I, I just think there's some unrealistic expectations around that because of the commercialization of this. You know, it's more collect soccer yeah. than it is select soccer in a lot of the markets that we deal with. Well, and so there's a there's a there's a customer expectation. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not giving it credence. I'm just saying that it's a reality for a lot of these parents who are spending a ton of money, and they have expectations. And I'm well, again. I'm not saying that that's the right thing, but it is real. And to, to discount it as, ah, well, that's just parents being parents, you know, whatever. No, no, no. There's an expectation. When you pay for a thing, you expect a result. You expect something in return. And whether or not they should or not, that is the reality of the collect soccer model, the pay for the pay to play well i think in this country i think too mark and we you, we touched on it a little bit earlier um you know talking about player styles um ki- you know kids that just know how to win or go into the situation knowing 
I'm not going to lose today, whatever, whatever it is, you know, the, the programs today, and I'm really curious as to your opinion, because you're watching it, your, your son played, you now have a grandson that's about to enter into the system and you know, everybody that runs every one of these clubs. So you see it, you know, directly and tangently. Um, the, the old school backyard neighborhood, just, just, just play to play and play to be competitive. Uh, Lori, uh, on her, Clubney, yeah. Yeah, on, yeah. on that episode, she's like, not enough kids are in the backyard just learning how to compete. Yeah. You know, what's, what, what do you, what's your take on, you know, youth soccer in America has never been bigger. It's never been more competitive. It's never produced more talent. Uh, you know, all the mores are, you know, there's check boxes of them. But do you think we're missing that grit, that uh, competitiveness? Do you think that's missing because everybody's looking at player development? Without, without a doubt. I mean, I, I think that everything has gotten so organized. Um, you know, I mean, I can drive through my neighborhood. I don't see any kids out playing 1v1, 2v2, 3v3. When I was a kid growing up, I mean, whether it's roller hockey or basketball yeah, or no, baseball, and, and not, I mean, yeah, you don't. I mean, I remember telling my son, who's thirty now, I'm like, why don't you guys go play Indian ball or something? He's like, what the hell is Indian ball? <laughs> I'm like, you get a couple guys, and he's, I mean, but that was what we did. You, you got if there was four of you, you played two v two. That doesn't happen anymore. Go get a tick. Everything. Just yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. We, we would get handfuls of rocks, two two in the backyard, two in the front yard, and you throw the rocks over the house and you just wait to see if you hit somebody. While, while they <laughs> clearly, you see, I mean, you see kids at a young age that are skillful, yeah. and but do, do they, I don't think they have the grit because I don't think they have to work as hard as we did. Right, it's just it's a it's a different and it is what it is. When the four of us are not, not going to solve it, or is anybody else? No. To well, be fair, yeah. though, to be fair, that same kid that ha, that is really developed that may or may not have the grit, or we're saying doesn't have the grit. When we were growing up, we were practicing one to at best three times a week before we became collegiate or 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 some of us are you professionally. Um, <clears throat> These kids are playing five days a week, so if, if, if not more, if not more, so so like, and that that goes for a club. I mean, there's classic teams that are practicing four days a week. You know, there there's academies, there's professional academies, there's all these things that I don't need to outline. I don't, you know, I'm rambling here, but the the, the volume and the frequency is so high compared to when we we were growing up. That that that's one thing that's for sure. So where's the burnout factor? For these kids, I think it's I, happening in real time. Yeah, um, and I also think it's from an organizational standpoint. They're doing it on purpose for the kids that do burn out. Get out of our way, right? And I, I mean, you know, I, I the whole thing with making a 10, 11 year old decide, okay, you're gonna play baseball. What you're gonna play soccer? It, it it's. I mean, all those kids growing up, baseball basketball it's it's coordination it's growing up yeah and the the fact of when you hear coaches talk about a kid who's 12 years old going to be the next whoever bullshit yeah you you you, you can't tell that without question we talked about that a hundred times there's so many things that can change in a kid's life from mom and dad go through a divorce 
so but can't play for this team anymore whatever uh gets into girls gets into cars gets into whatever there's so many things that change in, in kids lives that it, it it's kind of gotten to the point and what we're saying is their priorities change yeah you know. but also the priorities have changed for the game and what the outcomes are for youth soccer in the United States is different now than it was even 10 years ago or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And so, again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be the, the, the contrarian here, but I do think... Anybody that leads with, I'm not trying to be the contrarian, is the contrarian. How about I say it this okay. way? I don't mean to be an <laughs> asshole. No. I like that. I, I just think that there, there are differences. And if, if the goal long-term is to win a World Cup. I would imagine that's a U.S. soccer goal. And I would hope in my lifetime that's a goal that they're trying to achieve. Now, 75 years from now. And in order to do that, they're looking at the countries that have won the World Cup. Are the kids that played for France playing baseball and, and basketball when they're growing up? No, they're not. They're right. playing soccer five days, seven days a week. So well, I'm not, again, that's a completely culturally it, different It, it is, model. but what we're trying to do, I think, with this collect soccer model, the, the club soccer model, is change the culture of youth soccer. But, but and, going back to the European countries that you're referencing in which they're not playing a bunch of other sports, those are also community-based clubs in which it is not paid to play. Uh, agreed. The, the, agreed. So, so we're... The, the culture that we're living in is, look, it's a business. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> yes. You know, you've got, uh, I think Gallagher is pushing 4,500 players. 4,500 players. You know, Fuse is close behind him. Mm -hmm. and, and then it just kind of tears down from there. And I think back to, like, Norco and your dad in the club back in the day, it, it was a community club. There were nobody getting the paid, I can tell you. Right. Volunteer. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, and you only selected right. players, right? You, you, you couldn't just show up and give a dollar amount, and then you were on the team at right. Kudis or at Norco. It is kind of funny you think back to those days. It was a true select club. It, absolutely. Yes. Select oh, yeah. was real back then. It's not anymore. Well, well I mean, and, it is. When, when you go back into top tier. Even before my, when it was North County, you, there was, you played for Norco. You lived in... A the region zip codes. right We've the florissant celtics were one zip code the florissant cougars the north city gunners <laughs> cougars they they, they were yeah. it was basically geographically but at the same time they still had tryouts so you you went and tried out if you didn't make that then you had to try and figure out okay where am i going to go because at that time though that was how it was kind of set up yeah it was but back it, to cyc it was a, it was which a lot that like, was different well yep. it was yeah. a lot like current uh uh, club hockey, you know, yeah. hockey here in St. Louis. I mean, you, you only can play in a singular region and you get one move. Yeah. Right. And, and once I, you make the move, I think if we could have replicated the St. Louis model from the seventies and eighties where it was neighborhood, it was CYC, it was community based. Yeah. If we could have replicated that across the country, we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now, but we couldn't. Well, but here's, here's the thing. My, my, my two cent take on our inability to close the deal at, at the national team level. I believe is primarily rooted in our mass. The Northeast style compared to the Southwest style, compared to Texas players, compared to St. Louis Midwestern style players, you can't all of these regions play measurably different style of mm -hmm. soccer. Their uh, demographics are all completely different. The language to, to a large degree is now becoming different. So how do you, how are you really going to pull that bullion base 
and find 18 that are going to get the job done. You know? Well, I think the big thing with the national team and what we've seen and the success that they've had recently, it's because they have a lot of players that are playing at a really high level in Europe. In Europe, right. And, and those, are, those are the key cogs in this team. The MLS is getting better. Yeah. And I think with the addition of Messi, It'll I think it's going to continue to get yep. better. Agreed. And it, it just it gives it him coming over here gives the MLS a check mark that it never had before. Yeah, you know, and the credibility is the with this particular move with Messi and Jared and I talked about it the other day. Um, it's not like we're picking him up in the bottom of the ninth. He just won the World Cup. Like, he literally played, you would have no idea he was 34 or 35 at the time, you know, watching, you know, the quarterfinal, semifinal, final game. He's unbelievable. I think still. he scored five goals in the knockout rounds. Yeah. In yeah. this World Cup. So, so we're taking on an individual that is kind of a freak of nature, physically, based on his age, you know, with the game. Um, and then all the other, like, societal factors of... He doesn't speak English. He's going to a Latin community. He turned down Saudi money. All of these things to an 18,000-seat stadium. Sports science, too, with guys that are taking care of their bodies better than ever. They're not in a trash can with a bush beer. They're eating right. <laughs> they, they, they are doing things differently. For me, the best player in our World Cup, and not to be a complete homer, is Tim Ream. Tim Ream. Yeah. And oh, he's yeah. 35. Yeah. And he just signed a deal with Fulham, and he had a setback with a broken arm. But... 35 right now is 27 when you were playing indoor yep. on a sh thin paper sheet of AstroTurf Spe over Well, specifically, ice. too, for those uh, middle to back third players. Yeah. Because you can, you can extend a little bit more longevity if, if you are not the tip of the arrow. Well, and, and Tim has talked about that I think he's always been very dedicated, very hardworking, but he's talked about in the past few years, something that he has learned and clicked that he really, I mean, if you take care of your body mm -hmm. and you eat right and you train right, whatever, I mean, you can. I mean, I think, you know, the, the 35 is the new 27. Did you I ever stretch in your life? I did, but I pulled something. <laughs> you know, I stretch. I, I, I go back. to the top shelf. I go back, and I remember this. I go back to college, and I remember being at Sagamon and us showing up, and we're going to practice at 3 in the afternoon or whatever. And at 2.45, you walk out on the field. Shoes are still not even laced. And all of a sudden, there's a bag of balls in the corner, and somebody starts crossing them. And you're like, yeah, fuck. Let's volley these I'm things. I'm doing bikes. Yeah. No, no stretching, and you're just volleying balls, hitting them on goal, hey, and you're get like, the, get the radar gun out. Let's see, let's do yeah, this, guys. Come exactly. on. Exactly. I mean, in, but that's what. It, yeah, like I said it. It is different. a cool down. Never existed. We didn't nope. even know what that was. Nope. A cool down was trash can ice will, and bush. I will tell you the first time I ever did a cool down was I played with the U.S. national futsal team, and the game ends, and. I'm thinking, all right, let's head back in the locker room I'm here. Hungry. <laughs> got you. We're, we were playing in, uh, we played in Guatemala. And we played in the qualifier to go to the World Cup of futsal. We make it to the semifinals, and we're going to play Guatemala. So we're at practice the day before, and all of a sudden, this 
two Humvees show up, and the military guys all jump out. They got their M16s. They wanted to come teach us what to do if the field got attacked. <laughs> so they literally oh. took our team Shit. and told us, if something happens, everybody in your team go to the center of the field, lock arms facing outward, and make a circle to protect yourself, and we will come and get you. Well, we played them in the semis. We were up 4 nothing in like the first six minutes, and their fans were pelting their bench with beers and cans and batteries. Whatever. Yeah, it was. Oh my that was an, that was an experience uh, when they came out and basically were telling us. Was it early nineties? This would have been ninety five, ninety six. Wow. You know, um, <laughs> but it was. I mean, that's that, that was. It was, that's one of those great So after you guys watched the other team get pelted with beers, that's when you did your cool down? After the game, <laughs> they made us, you know, what well, we had started earlier, but it was like, all right, we're going to do a cool down. I'm like, cool down? What is a cool, cool down is you go sit in the locker room, you shoot the shit with your buddies. Hey, we killed them tonight or we got our ass yeah. kicked tonight and you have a couple beers. Uh, but, yeah, we did the cool down, the whole thing and the whole routine. Um and That's now, I mean, awesome. you see it. You go to a city game, and you see the guys that were the subs. They're out there on the field doing their sprints oh, we, after we, the game. We had to watch it after every training. Dude, if you're a dad and practices, and I'm past this, but if practices from 4.30 to 6.30, you're not leaving until 7.15 because there's a 30-minute cooldown. 30-minute cooldown, then they got to go change. And I get and, the benefits of it. I'm no, not disputing that. But, like, I mean, it, it's I mean, these kids, the game, well, yeah, it's different. <clears throat> Let's – uh. Let's let's wind this thing down a little bit because I really want to like I want to close out with the new. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you've spent your life in the game, near the game, working with the game, playing the game, etc. Uh, and now the you know we have the crown jewel. We've got our MLS team. Um, we are approaching literally midpoint of the yep. season. Uh, we're sitting in first place. Um, just. What does it mean to you being so part of the foundational fabric? You know, we, we mentioned at the at the onset, uh, you were just re- inducted into the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame. You know, and I was looking at some of the names from this year, Lindsey Eversmeyer mm-hmm. and uh, Grork. And uh, you're now part of the club that we've said repeatedly on this show. That club of people are, y- yes, the Taylors and, and, and Carolyn and the whole team. They paid for it. They, they're they're steering the ship, but it's you guys that kind of made it happen. So now, we're in first place, uh, approaching midpoint of the season. What does it mean to you to see that stadium, that team, these results? Walk around, you, you know, you see all your peers. What does it all mean to you? It's, uh, man, it's hard. It it it's it's absolutely awesome. I mean. Just to, to finally have a team here. I mean, I've been up to Kansas City. I've watched games in Kansas City. And I, I'll be honest, I have not watched a ton of MLS soccer over the years. I mean, yeah. I'll catch a game here or there, but I was not a diehard follower of the MLS. And I think that's because we have access to the Premier League. You know, right. I can tell you, my routine every Saturday morning. Oh, boy. Here we go. Get up, fire up some coffee. Yep. And 
I, it doesn't bacon. It, it honestly do no, some bacon. No, no, oh, no. some well, yogurt, we some toast. Um, but it doesn't really matter to me what game's on at six thirty yep. on Saturday yep. morning. I mean, it could be Middlesbrough and whoever. <laughs> I'll watch it. Yeah. You know, and then there's some teams that I like to follow, but it, it's just to to have it here in St. Louis. And they've done so many things right. I mean, yeah. the stadium is absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way they the way they put it together, the sight lines, um, mm-hmm. and and I I was skeptical on how this team was being built <laughs> stylistically um, and the players. Well, for first off, there's a whole lot of the players I had never heard of in my entire life. Right. So, and that doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> I mean, it's not like I know every player around the world, but not knowing really what to expect. And, I mean, we talk about this on KTRS all the time, doing different soccer shows. Nobody really knew what to expect. Right. Um, So at this point, for us to be where we're at, um, are there things that I wish they did better? Yeah. But I can't complain at all because uh, it's been exciting. Um, They've been fun to watch. They have been fun to watch. Put the team aside and all that stuff that you said and stylistically. For me, like, it means a lot to me because of what you did for our game. What did you think, whether it was Leverkusen, we asked these guys all this, whether it was the home opener, whether it was whatever game you went to first, what was your initial reaction when you walked into that stadium? Well, I didn't go to the Leverkusen game because I was having a knee replacement the next morning. And by the way, if you're ever thinking about getting a knee replacement – Two days before the World Cup is the ideal day. Ooh, <laughs> I actually, sense. I actually scheduled this with my doctor like four months out. Brilliant! Because I saw every single minute, couch bound. every single game <laughs> yes. with my ice and my motion machine, and but that that opening game to walk in there and just the feel of it yeah. and. Um, the whole, I mean, just the atmosphere of one, you're walking down, you know, as soon as you walk in the building or you're walking down the street from a parking lot, there's so and so. You know, 7,500 people. Yeah, exactly. I, I get it. But then to get in there and to, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, my dad was good friends with a lot of baseball players. And I can always remember that first game every year walking in to Bush Stadium mm-hmm. and you came through that tunnel to where the seats were and as soon as you got through the tunnel you seen that green baseball field yep mm-hmm. and that to me was always like oh my god this is awesome to walk into city park and walk through that and see that field it's oh. it's it's so much and growing up here in St. Louis and you guys will all know this Playing as a kid, going out of town, whether it was Cincinnati or Pikes Peak Tournament or whatever, and I, and I was fortunate that when I played with the Ambush, 99% of the guys were St. Louis guys. It was a St. Louis against the frickin' world. And right. that was a pride thing that every St. Louis guy had. And in growing up, I didn't play with any South guys you all the guys i played with were north county and then i got on the ambush and it's south and north and some of the best games i've ever played in my entire life were in practice with the ambush yep um and 
it, it's just the, the pride of having this team here in St. Louis and the recognition that St. Louis is getting finally on the national stage. Um, I, I think it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Well, let me ask you one last question. Uh, over 550, you guys have a number of soccer shows. So give us a, give us a breakdown. Wh- which show are you participating in? I know Tim's, Tim, Tim Ream has mm-hmm. a call-in show that he does too. Let us know what those are for anybody that's want to check out the station and, and talk a little soccer. Absolutely. So KTRS has mm-hmm. myself, Mark Dorsey, have, we've, we're, we're soccer guys. Mm-hmm. So right. when St. Louis FC came around, we leaped at the opportunity to get involved with them. We carried their games. We would love to have the city games. Unfortunately for us, we would have had to give up the University of Missouri football and basketball, which for us is way too profitable uh, to give up city. Makes sense. So we decided that uh, for the past, I guess, two years, myself and Brendan Weesey on Friday nights from 6 to 8 have been doing St. Louis Soccer Weekly. Nice. And we do, we covered City 2, we covered the Academy, we cover, you know, the, the college game, youth teams, referees, we cover the ambush. We, we kind of hit it all. That's a good show. Um, Saturday nights now, the hour before the game, Matt Baker, Mm-hmm. who does flyover fitty and does he, a he phenomenal was on, he job was on this show and the amazing thing about matt baker is matt baker never played soccer <laughs> no i know when, when i met matt the first time and asked him he said i never played i had asthma and i didn't play well, where did this come from fifa yeah in college he started following the game and playing fifa and it's unbelievable and the guy does a great show him and santiago beltran they break down the game so if you're driving down to a city game, take a tune to that because they really do. They're really connected. They really do a great job with that. And on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, Brendan Weesey hosts Sports Sunday from about 11 to 1130. He usually has Bill McDermott or Dale Schilly and kind of recap the game from the night before. Yep. Tuesday nights is Soccer in the Lou um, that Brendan, Matt Baker, and has different guests on. We do an hour there. And then on Thursday nights, indirect, which has been Tim Ream and Steve Schlanger, yep. they're taking a little break here for uh, about a month, and the show is going to be rebranded. There's a couple announcements that are going to come out. They're going to be doing some stuff with some other networks. Um, so that'll probably fire back up sometime in July on Thursday nights. And, I mean, nobody in this town has as much soccer talk as we do on KTRS. And it, it's, like I said, that's right awesome. now, this town is loving it, and uh, I mean tonight on KTRS, uh, Chris Klein is on with Martin Kilcoin doing awesome. an extensive interview. Very cool, uh, St. Louis guy. So we're 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 thrilled to have it here. And well, uh, you know, thank you, thank you for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate your time. Uh, love the stories, um, the the road dog stuff. I mean, that, I that's yeah, just cool. Good stuff. You know, it's like. It's made for a movie. Who's going to write the script, by the way? That's a good question. I'm trying to, who's going to play me in that? Um, <laughs> no, hey, thank you guys because the podcast is awesome. Thank you guys you very are doing much, a great man. job, great guest, and you guys make it so enjoyable to listen to. And I uh, appreciate what you guys are doing. That means a lot. Yeah, no, really That's appreciate huge. that. And, oh, there you go. There you go. Ooh. I believe when the movie's made, this needs to be the trailer bump. Yep. Right, exactly. we, we need to get we need to get Shane Stay and Dave Lang 
and some other guys to write a script about the you yes. know indoor soccer leagues in the 80s i think there's a movie there for sure oh, i think it'd be awesome i want to do or I, a series on apple tv oh we could pitch that i'm in pull away what was what was that show uh recently it was about the lakers it was uh uh, oh, where uh, boss it was the 80s there the, yeah it was uh, on HBO actually yeah. you know what I'm talking about we the need to do family, the, yeah. we should do that for the steamers old barn all of that yes Daryl Duran pretty much played for every St. Louis team ever <laughs> to me in wasn't my mind he, wasn't he on the 1950 team as well he might have <laughs> but I will tell you in my mind Daryl might be the best player St. Louis has ever produced. And I, unfortunately, he fell in that time frame where it was the indoor or whatever because yeah. Daryl is one of the only players I've ever played with that could play every position on the field and yeah. play it really well. That's awesome. Well, Mark, thank you for your time, man. Um, Jared, Zach, thank you for uh, picking up the tab today. You guys rock. <laughs> don't don't blink. It's it's true. <laughs> I know. John Shine, thank you for hosting us down here at Urban Chestnut. Love it, man. Uh, pizza kills it. Beers even better. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we're gonna roll out here. A little KC Classic, North County Zone. Head east. See you, people. Oh,